0: Welcome to Gaming the Podcast by Indie by Design. I am John Robertson, and this week our very own Stace Harmon sat down with Double Fine's Tim Schafer to talk everything from the upcoming Psychonauts two to how new games are dreamt up. We are also using this opportunity to celebrate our completion of twenty Double Fine years. Our book detailing the history, the games, culture, and creativity of everything Double Fine Productions. The whole thing is now finished. We and Double Fine have advanced copies in our possession, they look and feel fantastic and we really can't wait to get them into your hands. You can find out more about 20 Double Fine Years and get yourself a copy at doublefinebook.com and you can find out more via our Twitter, we are at IndieByDesign, that's doublefinebook.com and at IndieByDesign. A quick note to say that the following interview has been left uncut from the original conversation in order to give you maximum insight and value. So I hope you enjoy it and here's Tim and Stace.
1: Mr. Tim Schaefer. Always Hello. a pleasure. Always Thanks, for a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Um, so, you are now at the end of a very long journey with Psychonauts 2.
2: And mm-hmm. I both, wonder... of us, both of us are recently finishing very large projects. Congratulations yeah. to the two of us. Cheers.
1: Yeah, cheers. Cheers with the West Coast. Mm-hmm. Um, is there one kind of predominant feeling or emotion that you have at the end of your at the end of the development journey, at least of Psychonauts 2, of course, it's still going to come out and people still have to see it. But do you have one kind of overriding feeling now that you are kind of on the cusp of release?
2: I feel like I and the team are both very, very happy. I think that's the word we'd use because it has been, you know, a roller coaster. Because mm-hmm. we started this game as an independent, you know, publisher, crowdfunding, and then having a publisher and losing the publisher and then having a publisher and then losing the publisher. Um, and, um, a lot of uh, a lot of stress for the team um but everyone stuck with it and and stayed together and the fact that we're all landing we just had our first round of press that was extremely positive about the game that's always such a like a whoo we thought it was good but you know who knows Mm that these jokes are funny after five years um and uh the general feeling on the team of like wow after all that hard work that there's something we're really proud of is just a really really happy feeling and having it nicely land you know, becoming part of Xbox and being able to get the funding we needed to really put the extra polish on the game so that mm-hmm. we're, you know, not just scrambling to like patch up everything with duct tape and spit at the last minute, but like really finishing it off well, I think uh, makes everyone feel really happy after a, a lot of hard work. Mm.
1: Well, that's that's good to hear. I think that's a nice emotion to be to be left with, isn't it? That you're, that you're happy. It's not just, oh, we were absolutely sick and tired of this game. My goodness. But no, it's good that you're happy. I'm pleased that you're happy. So that's a yeah, nice thing
2: like- to be. It's the the kind of team that, like, near the end, they start to get even more, like, wow, this is... We worked this hard on the game, and I don't want to be ruined by this weird jittery thing over Mm -hmm. here or this little (laughs) detail. Like, it's, like, out of respect for the past work we've done, we put a little more polish onto it, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, as I mentioned, I have been playing some of it, and we are... We're going to avoid story spoilers, but I've been playing some of it recently. Uh, I've just finished the casino, so I'm kind of a couple of hours in. Oh, wow. And I'm what I'm very pleased about and I, I'm a bit surprised I think about how much has already been packed in in terms of the the writing and the what it's making me feel so I, may, I kind of jotted mm-hmm. down some notes earlier of the of the things that I felt as we've been going as I've been going through it and I've had what have we had we've had so kind of straight out the bat, we have Raz dealing with expectation versus reality. And again, I'm not going to go into too much detail about mm-hmm. what that means, but I would imagine you probably know
2: what I'm talking about. He thought he was human. He turned out to be a robot. Right? That's, <laughs> That's act the one, one yeah. opener, right?
1: It turns out he's oh, just sorry. a man in a troll
2: suit. It doesn't- Don't doesn't listen mean. to this before the game launches. Yeah. <laughs> robot scene, right? No, so, great. No, I know, yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and then there's aspects of personal responsibility. There's shame, regret, ethical issues surrounding mind control. And one particular section, again avoiding spoilers, was the uh, what would it be called? I guess the maternity section mm. segment, mm-hmm. which was was incredible. Honestly, it was. I found it incredibly astute, and there were some very kind of biting and cutting observations of of, and there were some very uh, sensitively observed observations as well of of parenthood. And <laughs> I wonder how did the conversations surrounding the themes and the, the psychic abilities as well, particularly the mind control stuff. How did those conversations differ to the conversations that you might've had 20 years ago for the first game? Do you, I mean, do you, are you even <laughs> able to recall the, those conversations?
2: Yeah. I don't remember having any uh, <laughs> discussions about the ethics in the first game. I think, I mean, I think we were all ethical people and like got a lot of stuff, right. Hopefully just with good intentions. But I think uh, that was the first game we, you know, it was, relatively speaking kids um but uh this summer and there was definitely a lot of talk about like what is um what is you know what you know going into someone else's mind it's like a very fraught <laughs> with mm-hmm. a, a tough choices type of situation and so i think we've um and just people on the team like i think in that maternity ward their characters in that in that room that voice things that people on the team have said. You know, there's, there's, mm-hmm. there's just you know, you you draw when you're making a character, you like you draw on people you know and things they've said, and so, um, you know, they're not all expressing my views about stuff, but they're sure, all expressing sure. the views of someone who who we know in real life. You know, maybe not a specific person, but uh, you know, and that's you know, the game doesn't really take a point of view on these things. It's not trying to mm-hmm. lecture anybody on anything. It's just kind of like, this is life. This is this is the, these are the people you might meet. You know, here's the things people say. Because hey, that's, that's what, you know, that's what life is like. It's fun to meet people. It's fun to hear all the different perspectives on things. So that's yeah. reflected in the game. Like, Hopefully in uh, entertaining we, way.
1: We finally have a child. When does it start realizing our unfulfilled potential? <laughs> <It's> like stuff <laughs> like that, which is just amazing. Um, anyway, so, so, yeah, so alongside those. Okay, because I, I remember when we spoke to Chris Brown, she was very, very serious I think very in intent on making it clear that there had been more of these conversations and and that there were conversations surrounding this notion of like the ethical consideration of of yeah going into somebody's mind and making them do things or or coercing them effectively and has there been has there been things kind of have you had those conversations have have those conversations surprised you I suppose that's the question have they have you kind of thought that you, you kind of set on a particular scene or a particular way of, of writing a particular thing. And then somebody's come to you and said, well, like, have you considered this side of this? Cause this could seem a bit sketchy or a bit sensitive in some way.
2: Yeah. And you really rely on a really broad team, you know, and that's one of the important thing about having a diverse team and just having a lot of points of view, um, the, you know, the catch can't catch everything. And I'm sure there are mistakes we made still, but, you know, they catch a lot of things and I definitely have a lot of blind spots. And so it's really helpful to have, you know, Chris catches a lot of it in the studio. Like this mm-hmm. character says this term, you know, what this term really means I'm like, no, I just say it. And he's like, you know, and Chris like, here's what it means. Like, oh, oh, you know, and, you know, you just as you grow older, you always just you encounter new ways of uh, what things mean to different people, you know, things you hadn't really thought of, you know, just terms you use since the sixth grade and you're just, you know, never really thought about, you know, like, mm-hmm. well, here's the effect this might have on other people. And you can't say that you want to make art without thinking about the effect it has on people because you're trying to generate emotions in people. And so if you're generating the wrong emotion from your intention, you want to know about that.
1: Mm, mm, Absolutely. And that's and it feels like it's kind of quite timely because it it feels like there's a lot more conversations at the moment about, or increasingly, I would say there's more conversations about mental health. And very recently, we've had the Olympics with Simone Biles, saying that she's mm-hmm. stepping back for a moment because she needs to protect her mental health, which I thought was mm-hmm. astounding, I thought that was an incredible mm-hmm. thing to do. And it, the headlines were that, you know, this could change conversations about mental health. And I thought, well, that's absolutely, because it takes somebody of that stature to, to, to mm. make people realise that it's okay to, to have that as a priority. Mm-hmm. Um, but then even beyond that, just the, the very basic, the basic way and the, the situation that we've been living in for the last 18 months, we've all... Had to deal with challenges in our professional and personal lives, and I wonder, working on the game that you have been working on, with that, that touches on these notions, but also in the way that you've had to work on it for the last eight years, you've had to work in, lock, in lockdown as well, and you've had to work remotely. And has that has that tied in any way? In any way, have you seen kind of an increased willingness to either in yourself or in your team to to have those conversations? I mean I understand that you're a, a very close knit team anyway so maybe that that willingness was already there but have you kind of been able to kind of surprise yourself in how in being more open to to those conversations or in in even in instigating those conversations
2: I think it just broader maybe it's the games industry maybe it's society at large but like the destigmification of talking about you know going to therapy and things like that mm. uh, have made it everyone feel a lot more comfortable talking about it like people are more comfortable saying things like my therapist you know mm-hmm. like Mm-hmm. The phrase that I don't think, you know, even 10 years ago, 15 years ago, definitely people would have been so easy to be like, well, my therapist, except for like, you know, you know I guess, uh, I don't know, it Just it, it's a lot, uh, it's it's definitely in the air. I feel like it helps to have mm-hmm. younger younger people on the team. I feel they're a lot more willing to talk about their struggles than even people of my generation, like Generation mm-hmm. X is mostly like, you know, your problems, you don't want to burden people with your problems, like you're yours mm-hmm. just, just to kind of suffer through or, you know, just suck it up and i do feel like there's value in resilience you know and 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 overcoming things but i think there's also bravery in in sharing struggle right and Mm. it's you know it's like mutually therapeutic to people you're talking about Mm. giving and taking of those kind of experiences allows everybody to feel like they're not alone and there's solutions to these problems
1: yeah and hopefully that won't all go away when we do when we are able to, all get back together. And I know that's, that's kind of opening up now. You guys were able to, I think Spaff mentioned that you guys were able to recently get together for your uh, company yeah. birthday. Was that right? You were able to go yeah. back.
2: Yeah. I mean, there were, unfortunately it was kind of like in a window where no one really knew much about the Delta variants. So we're really kind of like, Hey, quarantine's over. And we all got together and then it was like, you know, and then the city shut down again. And so we're really oh, no. lucky. I think we got through and no one got, no one got sick or anything like that. But um, we've always, we've been very careful and it's been, you know, you know, we had an out we had an outdoor, mostly outdoor mm-hmm. event, you know, took precautions and everyone was vaccinated. And um and so, you know, been been very careful, but it was frustrating to see it like start to come back to normal and then and then stop. And yeah,
1: yeah, but not quite there just yet. Not just yeah. yet. Yeah. Um well that so okay, so then here's the first of the kind of the throwback questions. Cause I was going through some of your old interviews and um this has to do with kind of a mental state, but it's in a slightly different way, because in a conversation that you had with Greg Miller last year, I think it was, Greg, who very kindly provided the foreword for our book, in fact, 20 Double oh, Fine do. Years, hmm. uh, which is available for pre-order from doublefinebook.com, by the way. Uh, I don't know about this book. What's this book? Are you talking about some <laughs>
2: sort of 20 year anniversary book? Yeah, well, we think it's we thick and luscious few... and heavy.
1: We we sneaked a few tape recorders into the office when everybody was in the office and we just, you know, we picked up a bunch of stuff. So you, you'll be delighted, I'm sure, so, um, it's coming mean, soon. Um, but when you were talking to Greg, you talked about how uh, you likened, I think it was likening the workings of the human brain to taking a dog for a walk. And <laughs> in that you're not entirely in control of your brain and you can't always control where it goes. And sometimes you need to kind of pull it back from a certain a certain place or trying Smelling to do a, wreck a certain in thing. more a little bit of a of you are of you're bit of And I wonder if you can talk a bit about kind of the, the last time that you uh, kind of slackened the leash on your own brain to let it explore be that like a theoretical concept or a practical activity either in your professional or your personal life or like when was the last time you, you kind of let your brain just wander and go and explore something? new i guess
2: i mean theoretically I try to do it every day when mm-hmm. i do my free writing which is i've been really bad about so it's kind of like exercise <laughs> like going to the gym yeah so i i have this notebook right over there it's only if it's within arm's reach and i can grab it and do it right after this interview maybe i will i don't know probably but i i've, I've gone through periods of being really good about free writing and you know we have, we've talked about this before i don't know but like mm. opening a notebook and, and the rules you have to pick amount of time and then you just have to stop Never stop your pen the whole time that, you know, you just always keep writing, even mm-hmm. if you're just writing nonsense and and nonsense, the same word over and over again, whatever. But you just have to keep writing and it allows your brain to turn off its editor and it turn off its sensor and just kind of um, verbalize all your thoughts. And it leads to really interesting you know, kind of uncorking of your imagination, I find. And so that's where I um, do most of that exploration mm. Um, and it also happens subconsciously during the day, like just watching a movie, your brains, I think any creative person is always putting it together like, you know, why did, why did I laugh just then? Why did I, why was I scared? Why am I feeling this? Mm. And Why do I care about this character who's so unlikable? And then you start to analyze what happens. You're know, like, and then you, you naturally start to think like, I wonder if I could make a character like that. I wonder if I, oh, that was fun when I thought the character was good and they turned out to be bad. And I wonder if I could add that to a story. And you, you start to kind of, your brain starts to automatically in the background, like put these things together. And the next time you go to write something, have these ideas floating around mm. but i am um, also i think david lynch talks about that like um sitting in a chair in a room just fishing like you're just sitting there like there's this river of thoughts going by and mm-hmm. you're just kind of casting out your line and you're just kind of kind of catch ideas and the ideas are just so fun to, to catch when you get one so um it's like that it's just you're just turning off turning off all your critics your judges those are useful later when you're trying to craft something for sure and edit as an editor you know it's really important to be ruthless at some point but there's also a point where you're just like anything goes mentally and you're just letting it all uh, pass through you and if you had you mentioned there about like when you are watching other media and and
1: you'll start to think about why 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 was that funny or why did that character do that do you do you come from a certain school of thought i've heard authors like like book authors talk about how sometimes their characters take them to unexpected places and you know they just have to let them go there and, and these kinds of things do you have that do you have you ever had like characters that you had a certain thought or opinion about and then you find through writing them that they turn out to be something else or, or are you kind of just they go where you tell them to do which is the sort of
2: which is your more <laughs> natural no, the first thing where you you kind of figure out the backstory you kind of figure out who they are and then when you're writing it, you're it's like you're improving on stage. You're kind of like improvising the dialogue based on who you feel like they are in mm-hmm. your gut. And um it you know it goes into all, all kinds of places. You're always uh, surprised. I remember Manny Calavera and he's talking, to, he's talking to um Membrio, the coroner in Grim Fandango. And I'm not a very religious person, but Manny started talking about like having faith and like following these things, like you've got to have some read like the, the march to uh, the four year journey, the soul, he started talking about why he does mm-hmm. it. And it's, it sounded like this, this testament to having faith in things. I was like, where is that coming from? It's just coming from Manny. Like that just comes from like Manny's point of view. Um, It didn't feel like something I would personally say, but it just made sense uh, for him to say it. And so um, I think that's hopefully what you're always reaching for. Cause if every character mm-hmm. was just, you'd be really boring and you, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? But if you're going to write like a villain, you know, it doesn't mean that you, that comes from your villainous thoughts, but it comes from you being able to like, put yourself in the mind of someone who has that point of view and and what would they say? Would you, does that like, if,
1: if you were to give tips to somebody in creating characters, would, is there more of a kind of sort out their backstory, establish what they do and don't like, and the rest will come to an extent, or is it, do you, do you kind of find who they are through writing their dialogue? Uh, Both. Both. both? Okay.
2: I definitely try to come up with some, like some backstory of like, where do they got like, Uh, You know, were they raised with both parents? Are they rich? Are they poor? Like what, what's their background? What part of the world do they come from? You know, what, what, you know, just something that would give you a sense of knowing that character. But then it's only, it's not until they put the words together that you really figure out what they will commit to, you know, because there's there's who they are and their backstory. And then it's what they present to the world and who they want to Mm. be. And, you know, like what mask they want to wear when they're around other people and how that mask changes depending on who they're with. That makes all the dialogue interesting.
1: Mm. And does I mean, would that does that ever lead you to kind of challenging those characters? Do you kind of like in order to find out what they what they stand for or where the line is drawn? Is there do you kind of create if not gameplay situations, then kind of narrative situations that that test to, to kind of test that to find that out? Is that like a yeah? I
2: find mean, I out through a, exploring, I guess is what that's the basic than going up from. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I. Yeah. Yes. We do like just the basic act of coming with a basic story comes from challenging. It's not if you just had a hero. What's the hero want? Oh, they want make all these good things happen. Well, and they did. And that was it. And that was the end of the story. Like nothing interesting comes unless University you create a, an antagonist. Who's going to be like, I'm going to be thwarting everything this person does, or I'm just taking my own path and it's in a uh, conflict with yours. And, you know, and, you know, putting together stories about like, sometimes, well, it's inc- if depending on what kind of story you want to have. Um, a lot of the drama comes from, well, let's put some opposition in the face of this hero's path. And when they try to overcome it, uh, do they have to make really terrible choices or, you know, frust- or, you know, mm. and then that choice is going to tell you about that character. And then um, do they have a certain style with which they overcome problems? That's going to tell you about that character. And then um, when, if they fail, what is, how do they react to that? And that's, that's, that's how you learn about the characters is by throwing these different, maybe opposing characters or imposing situations to them that really, really test them.
1: Mm so along those along those lines, so something that is often uh, a staple of many video games is that is is conflict in the in the sort of the theoretical and the literal sense of the word there's often combat I noticed in psychonauts two there's the option i think it's called narrative combat I think is that what mm-hmm. the option is mm-hmm. that you basically makes the game less challenging so you can enjoy the story mm. and I wonder has your um has your kind of personal uh, approach to playing games the way, the kind of games that you play or the way that you play games has that changed over the years? Do you find yourself drawn to more narrative experiences rather than things that are directly challenging your dexterity say is that like a thing that's changed in your throughout your career?
2: I mean, I think they're different um uh, the different gameplay experiences that I'm still drawn to both. You know, I've been getting into, you know, retro game type things and I'm playing my old Atari games. And I've actually started getting more into like, I wonder if I can get a higher score on this really like 40 year old game. I wonder if I can get better at it now, you know, like so I'm actually in some ways more interested in that kind of mastery type uh, situations. Um, and I also am, am interested in like, just, it's more about allowing the player to enjoy the game in the way they want. And Especially narrative-based games, they reach a lot more people than games. They reach people that mm. games that narrative don't reach. Um, and uh, why 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 block those people from enjoying the game is, is the question. So why not just let them enjoy the game they want to, you know, let like them, let them like it the way they want to like it.
1: Mm. Mm. Well, that was so that ties into uh, a conversation you had a while back with Amy Hennig, in which the the topic came up about the language that she used when talking about games just the language that's used kind of in the in the discourse about games and about how we try to beat them and how you know there's a very much like a conquering of mindset for a lot of people with games and um has that have do you when you're when you're approaching an original uh, an initial sort of design document or when you sit down to think about game does that come up in terms of what kind of game you know is it a score attack game is it a this game like where where typically does it start for you like does it come from a mechanic or does it come from like a, I want to make a game about or i want to make a game that is
2: um yeah i mean for me it usually starts with the world of like Mm -hmm. i want to make a game set in this world (laughs) and i want to draw the player into this world and take them on a journey through this world so and that leads to a question of like who would you want to be if you're in that world? What suit would you want to wear when you're walking through that world? And then who would oppose you in that world? So those, you know, those are like the, the steps of, of kind of creating the framework for, for a story. Mm. Um, and, you know, um, gameplay mechanics are, are, I feel like it's all like a bag of tricks that you pull from in order to make someone want to stay in your world. Although I think about mechanics more um, as I've been playing a lot of older games uh, lately, because uh, I, yeah i think they're I think they're really important but i I feel like i've I've mostly been focused on the narrative side and let other experts work on the um, the mechanical but I've had thoughts about it that have I really started to develop more lately so I think it's all important mm. it's all part of the uh the mix of making an immersive experience mm and this that
1: it feels like that ties very directly into something that you've said previously about like double Fine being first and foremost creativity led like that's mm-hmm. that's the focus that's the 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 sort of raison d'etre that's the the point of it all. Mm. And I wondered off the back of what must what is it now, five or six years that Psychonauts two has been in in five years that it's been in
2: development. I'll check, I'll check the facts later. Are you
1: are like are you able yet to look forward to starting that process again? I mean maybe you've already started that process again, but you able to look forward yet to to like how does your process kind of end your creative process on a project? Do you jump straight into another thing? Do you need time to just do nothing? Like, how do you kind of,
2: oh, they always overlap. I've been thinking right. about my next game for years, you know, and mm. I've been thinking about sometimes when you're in crunch mode, it's the best time to think about something else because your brain's like anything, but this game, <laughs> not that we're in crunch mode, but I mean like that finish, like when you're the most busy on a project, often your brain would be like, what about this other project you give you? <laughs> mm. uh, it's good to take those notes, you know, and just, um, But I, you know, this, you know, the next uh, couple of games that I want to make, I've been thinking, I always think about them for, you know, 10 years, Mm -hmm. I think, before I ever make them. So um, it's nice to be able to sit around and nice and also intimidating because as soon as I get time to think about the next thing, 100% of the time, that's when, you know, next thing around the corner is someone asking for it. Like, oh. (laughs) <laughs> oh wow, you're working on that when's that first document going to be ready and you're like uh, uh. Yeah. so actually while you're working on something else this is a great time to be pretty private and alone with your next game idea because mm-hmm. no one's gonna they're always asking you for this game so i can be quietly working on
1: something. no, like that. no discussion about it. milestones for the next project just yet leave that leave that for okay. well. <laughs> no more sticky notes on the board for milestones just yet um yeah, I mean, that you mentioned that, actually, that yeah a game a game ideas can be years in the making. I mean, Brutal Legend, I, I remember you talking about that being, a, a, I, I think it's fair to say it was a decade in the making, was it? That was a, like, that was a, like or the ideas for that, kind of, the where that came from.
2: Yeah, different parts of it came at different mm. times. Like the title came, I think, I was riding a bus in San Rafael while I was working at LucasArts and I was just thinking about what the most ultimate title would be for the kind of games I didn't make. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like we're making games of pirates and stuff. Like you're up against all these, you know, Neverwinter Nights and stuff. Is like I can yeah. out Neverwinter Nights, Neverwinter knights, <laughs> Yeah, legend.
1: the foil today of the Tentacle or the Secret of Monkey Island. Yeah, is definitely is Brutal Legend. I mean, that's
0: with an umland <laughs> as well.
1: I mean, for sure. And that's so yeah. And you and in talking about Brutal Legends, um, I think it was something that we talked about. I want to go back all the all the way to last. February which seems like a lifetime ago in which you and I think you've talked about it elsewhere but you talked about that it seemed like the I think you explained it as the people that you sit down with and play Brutal Legend with or that you show how it works or that perhaps they do Rocktober with you every year those are the people that then come to understand and and love Brutal but the people that don't get it or don't get to have that introduction are like those are the people that fall off it quicker. And I, you, I think you talked about the like the, the, the tutorial element to it and, and it would have been nice to have been able to have uh, made that a bit more robust so that more people could enjoy it. Um, and I wonder, like, where do you think... Because on the on the other end of that, you've also talked about how the games that delight you personally are ones that are kind of slightly confusing or slightly surprising. Or, yeah. <laughs> and so, like, where... I'm not sure if you can even describe it as a, as a place, but where like, where's the sweet spot that you think between the kind of typical tutorial experience that sands off all the edges and doesn't let you, you know, is very scared to let you get something wrong. And the other end of that, which is, is kind of the people that are who want to explore and they want to, they want to find those things out for themselves because it makes them feel smart. Like, do you know, what are you able to sum up? what the what that sweet spot looks like or feels like or like how do you how do you get there
2: yeah that's a great question i mean first of all i would allow people are welcome to not like one of their games i don't think they're wrong if they don't like the games but i feel like um definitely a lot of games you get a very short period of time to uh, get people to like it or not and once people just hear buzz about something they can they can really write it off without uh you know knowing uh trying it but um I think figuring out how much you can uh, confuse or surprise an audience is like the whole, like fine tuning of, of any game. And that's what every puzzle design in an adventure game is like, Mm -hmm. okay, here's a hard puzzle. How hard do we make it? And it's it's like the the goal is to always have it be that um, writing that, that line where they're kind of frustrated, but they know like the game's winking at them and telling them like, Mm -hmm. you know, the answer it's right around the corner. You, you, it's on the tip of your tongue. If you could just say it out loud, just, think a little harder like you making that kind of like the game make it entertaining for you to be confused and and to make you feel like if you just stretched or gave a little more time you could do it um is that's the pleasant kind of confusion that makes the best 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 games Mm -hmm. but not everyone's on that same curve so catching everybody in that is really the challenge and there's no one right answer to that for sure are those the games that you so do you
1: enjoy those games that you you that you find creeping into your brain when you're not playing them you'll go out and, and make a cup of tea and this thing will pop into you oh that that's that's what it is are those kind of are
2: those the, like the games those are them? like adventure games but even like um the one that the like, most finely crafted ones are these like limbo like mm. the first time i played limbo or inside i was just amazed by every time i was about to quit in frustration i was like ah it's a puzzle i do not get it what you can do oh wait a second like right then would be the moment where i would get it and i was like how do they tune this thing so well? And they were like, well, we just spent years and years testing and polishing it. <laughs> you know, so um that just is the proof. There's no theoretical answer to that. Like mm-hmm. how do you just gotta watch people play it and see where they get frustrated and think about uh what could you put there? What little signpost or whatever would catch that player and just give them a little hint towards the right direction, you know, not, not a solution, but and the hardest thing is convincing everyone else on the team and the publisher and everybody to put a hint in instead of just a solution. Because a lot of people were just com- concerned that the player will get mad and stop playing the game mm-hmm. and not buy the next game or whatever mm-hmm. and you're just so they, everyone wants just let's just put a pop-up that just tells you what to do here and then we make sure every player gets to enjoy their software product they're making for them <laughs> and i'm like what if we just put a hint on like a, a controller vibration right here like <laughs> like you ever want to put in you want to put in the least amount of hint that would then test it again and see if everyone gets it you know
1: mm. yeah i mean it's That's not it's like what is do you know why are people scared of that? Do you think is that like a oh because we're fighting? There are so many games, and we're fighting for people's attention as it is, and so if we give a reason for people to walk away, they may never come back. Like, is that a because I mean, to perfect. be to be blunt, it's like they've already bought the game at that point, right? So you've <laughs> already got their money in the most mercenary type way. Like so, so why are why do people why do, why are
2: people worried about that at that point? There's so think? many choices. There's so many like I could, they could put down your game. And uh, you know, I don't know. Now it's on Game Pass. Like just, there's a million mm. games on Game Pass. I could try mm. something else. You want them to finish your game, but I, I, um, I, uh, I think it's partially that, but it's also the, the process that I just described is very uh, long and tedious and frustrating because mm-hmm. you know, you have a big meeting. Oh, players got stuck here, and there's this choice that works. Let's put up a pop up that says "Look behind you," or, you know, and um, and you're like, but wow, what if we just put a little more light on this thing? Or maybe a little sparkle on the handle of this door. And they're like, oh. and then you put in a test and like people didn't even look at the sparkle and they're like, well, okay, what if the doormat was uh, jiggled a little bit or some something dumb mm-hmm. and you you don't know that it'll work and you test it, it doesn't work, and people get just put the pop-up, come on. You know, so because <laughs> if you're worried about the schedule, that that it's a it's a much less risky thing to do, you know, the more explicit solution. But um mm. I feel that like makes, if you have so the time. Sense. It's, it's always better to do something a little more inside the fantasy of the game.
1: And, but, and, but do, and do you ever have time? I suppose that's like, there's always, you always run out of time, or one, not you, but one always runs out of time. You can't that's quite true. do everything. Right? That's why you gotta
2: do so much testing early on. Right. It's just that there, all those things if have done right give the opportunity for the player to feel clever. If they mm. can just make that last leap, no matter how small it is. That last, oh, mm-hmm. ah, aha. Did you notice that this doorknob is shyly, Is shiny right here on this, or this book is a little less dusted? And they, were, they just mm-hmm. feel anything clever about the choice they made, then they feel so much better about their experience. And if you put a, a pop up, you're taking that little moment of cleverness away from mm-hmm. them. I just feel like they're just doing what the game tells them to do. Okay.
1: Well, that was uh, that unexpectedly actually ties into something from Black 2 uh in the vague in the in the vaguest way what can i say so there's a couple of instances where it feels like you are allowed to go down what becomes a dead end and you go there for a reason you'll go there to find a collectible or to find a power up or to you know some some um intern badges to spend to to power up but it made me realize that there's not that seems to have gone away a lot it seems like the notion of you go down this path you Retrieve a thing and then you come back the way you came doesn't seem to be that common anymore it seems to be like there needs to be this sort of circuitous circuitous route to get you back to where you were was that i mean is is any of that kind of thing intentional in in saying yes it's it's okay to let people go here they it's not like they've gone here for nothing they've they've got kind of this payoff and now they're going to come back in you know they're going to come back a short way and and come back to where they started to go off down a different path. Like, is that yeah. is that a kind of a, a purposeful thing? Is that a deliberate thing? And-
2: <laughs> I would love to ask that question of our level designers or lead designer uh, <laughs> Seth Maranello. Like, what is that a conscious thing? I think a lot of the way that some some of those things are designed, right? The 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 level designer will think of like, I'll put a special optional path here and yeah, hide this collectible. Um, and sometimes we just find these little nooks and crannies and you're like, Hey, I walked all the way back here. There was a ledge and I got behind this thing and there was nothing here. And I like, okay, I'll stick something back there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so some on purpose and some are afterthoughts. And, um, uh, you know, I, the, I don't really, some, the, personally for me, when they do loop back in like a circuitous route, mm-hmm. now you got <laughs> it's me. Tricky. Mr. It's enough tricky save it's me. <laughs> like if you have a little side path, that then makes back into the main path. You can often like not make not find the first exit and then find the where it hooks back up and then take mm. it backwards and then we get mm. really confused. Mm. Yeah. yeah, So yeah. I speak that, for level designers, but that's maybe what I would worry about. Well, it's but it
1: but it feels like in some ways it makes the world more uh, not alive, but the the what's that word? I use it a lot, but I can never say it properly. The verisimilitude of the world is increased, I think, because it's not. It doesn't always feel like, oh, this is designed purely for me. Like the only reason this is here is for me to go down this route and come around here and do this. It feels like it's, oh, this is a place, like the HQ. It feels like, oh, this is a place that exists, and I'm just kind of here visiting and exploring. And I think that's that enhances the feeling, if anything, for okay. me. Rather, I, than,
2: but I like I like when the game does put something there at the dead end like the, when they just when these little uh, i like for the game to tell the player like we see you we mm. see you sneaking mm. we know you went behind the book and look oh <laughs> here's a little treat clever. clever this is a way to like i think people like it when the game um the game knows they're being clever and knows they're being sneaky and and, and mm. finding little
1: looks and crazy mm. that's i think yeah that that ties to something uh i think when you've talked about like adventure game writing and you've said that you want that you want to write that line for somebody who tries a a very obscure combination of of items and it's like well they can't just say it can't just be like nope that's wrong it has to be like you have to
2: give it's such an easy opportunity like that make the player feel seen Mm. Mm.
1: and there's, i think yeah and there i think they're appreciated it feels a bit like so there was a lot of things when we were putting the book together that we had conversations me john and our layout designer richard had conversations back and forth about very specific things like, so these bits of art, should we leave the paper texture in here or should we remove that because it blends better with the rest of the page? Should we, you know, put these bits next to each other because there's this this texture and this texture kind of look a bit strange. And they were things that it felt like, and we said more than once, like, these are very specific minute details or let's use this border color. We'll be like, oh, we'll use the double fine orange here uh, and then we'll complement it with the yellow somewhere else but they felt like very specific things that in isolation, perhaps very few people will notice. But the idea of them is that they all add up and they create this thing that is, hopefully feels special. And, and I wondered if that is anything like making a game, like you you're focusing on these details that in isolation, maybe nobody will see that, that dead end collectible. Nobody will hear that line that you've written, but that, added up that kind of, like, is that, is it as simple as that? Just, is that just what a video game is? It's just a collection of these <laughs> small moments and then you put them all together and hey, presto.
2: There definitely is a bunch of small, a million small little details, but it's also, there are many layers at which things work and some is very high level, you know, like the concept of going into people's minds and these, these choices you make about big grand strokes and then there's these middle layers of, of structure and level structure and plot points and stuff like that. And then you get down to these little, these little moments that maybe an animator or you know mm-hmm. a gameplay programmer or somebody can put in just a little touch that makes it a little more delightful, but also sells the entire theme of what you're doing so much better. So um, you have to fire on all these different levels, and mm-hmm. um, that bottom level of the details, like everyone on the team touches and everyone adds something unique, cool that, that often will surprise me when I'm playing through and and really find really entertaining to discover new secret things in our game that we worked on for five years. Well, yeah, that's like,
1: I mean, I presume you've played it through many times, but do you get to, how, how do you get to play it? Do you play it? You're playing it with an eye to finding what's working and what needs to be tweaked, but, but like, have you yet got to experience it as just a player?
2: Are you yeah, allowed think, um, to
1: experience it like that?
2: Yeah. Each time I play it, I, uh, I find myself, in the mind of, like, okay, what does a player know? And I'm able to, like, you know, watch the scenes and, and feel like, wow, you, do, you really don't know about this character. Until, you know, in the early days, we would add things of, like, you know, Raz is talking about this thing that he, he doesn't really seem to know yet. And then we'd have to make little corrections like that. Um, but I'm still trying to play it differently every time. Like this last time, I was playing it more completely. Like, I'm going to get 100% and everything. You know? like mm-hmm. That helps you find things that I found little closets and hidden rooms in the game this last playthrough. I didn't know were in the game. <laughs> so you know how you approach it definitely affects what you find.
1: But do you think there's an outside chance then that the entirety of Psychonauts 1 might be playable in Psychonauts 2? Is that is that a that's thing that's not <laughs> happening. <laughs> is there a door somewhere or a computer terminal that you you know you uh you can just sit there and no, play? No, we don't
2: have to do that because Psychonauts is on Game Pass. So we don't have to do that. Anymore. There we go.
1: Perfect. Perfect segue. <laughs> So okay, let me just. There's a couple of uh, couple of other things here that I would like to get to. Um, so, <clears throat> excuse me. Something you've mentioned previously is that one of the things that you uh, were l- less than thrilled or somewhat apprehensive about starting a company um, was the the little details like toilet paper and the copy paper like where yeah. this thing is coming from and I wonder if you can cast your mind back a while not that far but a while to the projects that you've worked on at Double Fine where you're not leading them and you're coming in and perhaps you're writing the cutscenes or you're looking that you, you have effectively a, a kind of a, a much smaller part a, a bit uh-huh. part effectively do those instances where you work on those projects in that way does that feel anything like what it felt like when you were at Lucas and, and your job wasn't to run a company and to be responsible for where the toilet paper and where the copy paper was coming from? Like, is, is it a similar feel? Is it completely different because it's your own company? Like are they in any way comparable?
2: Um, they're really different in that um, when I pop in, and just write someone's cutscenes on a game that I'm not running, I feel like uh, it's a really low stress situation because I'm mm. just, I'm just helping out and uh, I don't have to worry about making it happen. That's somebody else's job and so uh that's a big like a vacation for me i think that's it's great but it, you know even when lucas when i wasn't you know when i was working for someone else i was still like okay this game make or break we gotta do it yeah. um so yeah but the, you know that stuff you know it turns out it's not that hard to buy toilet paper copy paper it's just <laughs> it's just starting a company you have to make that leap to like okay i'm gonna figure out everything and then you find out you know you know california laws. So you have to do this with your employees You're like there's a lot to learn there's a lot of these mm-hmm. things to learn, but. Um, none of it is—it's um, all figure out a bowl. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> none of
1: it's insurmountable. You can just buy toilet paper. It's... No, and I imagine no. California law probably suggests that you—you you they should. suggest you do, yeah. They yeah. Do. Okay. Well, that's fair enough. Yeah. Um, okay. So two last things. I think the first of which is: Have you had a chance yet to to read through any of the book? That you were holding yes. in your hand earlier. Have you have you read all of the lovely things that people have said? Uh, people that both work full time at your company and kind of contributors as well. Have you? And I, I wonder. You read put, the
2: whole thing. I think I read everything before it because you, know. you did.
1: You did. I mean, yeah, pretty, certainly. Yeah, yeah in uh, yeah. in one of the previous drafts, and I don't think much, if any, of the writing has changed. But the how does that? Like, yes, as again, put you on the spot. How does that make you feel? To reflect and i suppose this whole past year the whole kind of 20th anniversary up to now and i know that you've done a lot of interviews and talking about 20 years and and your own 30 years in the industry how does how does that make you feel to have achieved that to have achieved 20 years running your own company like can you sum that feeling up
2: Can you put it in a bottle super conceited just really (laughs) right just really think i'm better than every i know i feel um (laughs) You know, uh, extremely lucky, obviously, you know, and because um, it has been a roller coaster. We've come close to mm-hmm. it not happening, you know, maybe three times or more. And, um, you know, really grateful for the people we've met along the way that have made it happen. And You know, the, the fact that we're able to point to multiple people without whom we would not exist, you mm-hmm. know, just it just shows how um, how many people it takes to make something happen, you know, and, and we've met a lot of great people along the way. Uh, that have made it, you know, both creatively, business wise, you know, technically, you know, financially, just people who have contributed to making this um, thing exist in the world. Uh, that um, uh, I we are very proud of just because I think it's a good thing. Like I think it's a good group of people who make put good things out into the world, and you know, we were able to, you know, help people get their cavities filled along the way. You know, <laughs> and you know, get. Get their eye care taken care of, you know, like you know, that's I made this not a big deal in your in your country because the government, you know, I don't know, it's bigger It's like <laughs> we have to uh you know, provide, you know, anyway. I'm getting off track. But it's just that um we're able to think about the quality of life of people making the games and learn about that while we made things that hopefully will matter to people, you know, like the way that um art and books and everything mattered to me growing up in games, obviously. Uh, to be able to put something into the world that someone um, will—that might be someone's favorite game, might be something that really, really matters to someone and means something to them and makes them think about becoming, if not a game developer, maybe something else creative in their life, or you know, um, it causes some sort of emotional development or anything like um, that—is we just feel very, very fortunate to be able to have had that opportunity. Awesome,
1: I think that's probably a, uh, a perfect end. Actually, I think that's a very nice summing up. Um we're not
2: over by the way we're not shutting down we're still going the perfect end to the interview not yes, the company not
1: the company i mean no. we figured we got to well you're now at 21 years i mean
2: the perfect we're, we're end like to the company but, is we yeah. buy all of the companies shut all the doors and own... them
1: yeah <laughs> you can get, you can go and live on a yacht with uh no, i don't no. know the other people brian fargo and the, and the like you can go <laughs> live on a yacht with those guys <laughs> um Yes. No, I think that's, I think that's everything, Tim. That was, that was awesome. And it actually sounds like my neighbor is just like cutting their lawn. So it's probably, a, that's oh, I thought probably that was really your ending
2: music that you're playing me off.
0: That was <laughs>
2: well, that's it. <laughs>
0: Thank you for listening now before you go I just want to remind you one more time that you can learn more about and secure your copy of 20 Double Fine Years at doublefinebook.com. The first print run has now been completed so act fast if you want one of those first edition copies as they won't last forever. Again that's doublefinebook.com. Com. Also, you can follow us on social media. We are at Indie by Design across all platforms. And if you visit our Twitter, then there, you'll also find a link to our Discord server. Next week's podcast is all about historical accuracy in games. And a discussion around that initially centers on the upcoming 4X title Humankind, which we have played an awful lot of and have a lot to say about. Until then, though, goodbye, stay safe, and we'll see you again next week.